This is the Bob Account Podcast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. John Shannon here, Dave Hodge there, in for Bob one more time. Uh, David, it's uh, it's it's normal that we talk lots of baseball in August. Um, the whole concept was we were going to be talking about uh, finally that the the Jays are over the hump and that they have reached their potential, the three games in Boston, the first victory in Cleveland, <laughs> and then they waste a Kikuchi start, a se- seven innings and three hits start by Kikuchi and can't even score a run against the Guardians. Well, this podcast should be uh, uh, subtitled when baseball is the subject. Uh, on the other hand, <laughs> we saw the other hand uh, last night, the Jays managed to lose to a team that had three hits, uh, a team that, if you take Jose Ramirez off the field, looks like the Oakland A's. Uh, Such a weak hitting team uh, are the Cleveland Guardians. And yeah, they got great pitching too and beat the Jays one to nothing. And I mean, you know, (laughs) like score a run, even get it to the 10th inning and probably win it that way. No, they couldn't even score one run against a rookie pitcher who's good, but they beat a good rookie pitcher the night before, uh, strangely enough, on a Kevin Biggio home run. Um, so, I, you know, it's, uh, it's hard to, uh, to figure the Jays, and Seattle did win another team that can't hit mm-hmm. in two games of the Jays. So, um, you know, I guess there's still a playoff discussion to be had. We're going to have it. Um, but... Um, the Jays just scratch your head and uh, and wonder um, and wait for Bobashek to get back because at least at least there's some offense that you can probably count on if he's in the lineup. Bobashek and uh, Jordan Romano at that. We will talk more baseball. Gregor Chisholm of the Toronto Star will join us on the McCowan podcast after this. Hi, this is Bob McCowan for BetRivers.com. Hey, if you're looking for a sports book or casino app, you should check out the Bet Rivers Sports and Casino app today. Play all of your favorite casino games for real money anywhere and anytime. Plus, get in the action with each sports game with hundreds of sports betting options. And get ready to feel like a VIP because you'll earn both loyalty level points and bonus store points on every real money wager you make. You must be 19 plus available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, contact Connex Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 or speak to an advisor free of charge. BetRivers.com. Welcome back to the McCowan podcast. Dave in for Bob today. Uh, you know, and this was supposed to be the you know, the classic Wednesday Hump Day show, uh, and we were going to celebrate the Toronto Blue Jays with their fifth consecutive victory. <laughs> Except the 2023 version of the Toronto Blue Jays showed up, and we couldn't see five consecutive victories. Joined right now by Gregor Chisholm of the Toronto Star. Gregor, thank you for your time. And uh, first of all, what are your your impressions of this baseball team this year? Well, it's pretty much the Jekyll and Hyde Jays, right? I mean, it, it, it's in some ways, it's ironic that uh, this is a week to celebrate Jose Batista because this team reminds me a lot of that 2016 team, not the 2015 team. Obviously, that was a bit of a juggernaut after the trade deadline. But 2016 was the year that everybody thought that the offense was going to be just as good as it was in 2015. And for the most part, they struggled to score runs for most of the year. That team never really clicked. There were flashes of it, especially in 2016 when they swept the the Texas Rangers and the offense really kind of exploded. But then what happened was the very next week when they faced the Cleveland Indians at the time, uh, the offense completely disappeared. And that was that was much of the same story throughout the entire 2016 season. That that team was mostly led by the starting rotation. They only needed six starters that entire season, which is extremely rare. And, and that's very similar to this year as well. I mean, uh, the success that this team has had has been largely due to the starting rotation and the fact that they've been able to keep those 
those guys healthy for most of the year. And the offense, I mean, you really don't know what you're going to get. I mean, at this point in time, I, I think it's more the expectation that they are going to struggle to score runs, especially with runners in scoring position. Um, they haven't been able to come through in those situations. And every now and then we get that offensive explosion and people start thinking, OK, this is what the team is supposed to do. Uh, and then you get a game like like Tuesday night. Um, where they're just totally missing in action. And so um, it, it's really hard to predict what you're going to see from one week to the next with this team. And, and I think that trend is going to continue. I mean, this, if this team is going to do any damage later in the season and into the playoffs, it's going to have to be pitching first uh, because the offense just hasn't been consistent enough from week to week. Well, I'd like to welcome uh, Gregor here. Uh, every time you write, I read it. Uh, so uh, it's uh, good to talk baseball with both of you. And I'm probably going to repeat much of what you have just uh, said, Gregor, but uh, I watched the Blue Jays last night and I wondered how they're a playoff team. But then I look below them in the standings and I still feel safe in assuming that the Jays will be will be in the playoffs because I see no one capable of, of catching them. Yes, Seattle, two games back, but Seattle and the Blue Jays are, you know, they can pitch, they can't hit. They're sort of the same thing. And uh, really, Seattle instead of Toronto? I don't know. Um, are, are they a playoff team, uh, the Blue Jays, Gregor, in your mind? Or are their uh, offensive problems uh, so great that they will miss the playoffs? Yeah, Dave, I see it exactly as you see it. And I've, I've, I've kind of saw it that way for a little while now, but especially at the trade deadline. Uh, I mean, the path really kind of opened up for the postseason for the Jays. I mean, the, the teams behind them did almost nothing with the exception of the Angels. And the Angels were a very flawed baseball team going into that trade deadline. They could have made 10 trades uh, and they still probably wouldn't have been a playoff team. When they started making moves, you started looking at their upcoming schedule and you think, okay, they're not even going to be in the race potentially a week and a half from now. Uh, let alone at the end of August, because they had a very difficult schedule. They've had some injuries. They don't have depth. That team was never really a threat to me. And then you look everywhere else. The Yankees didn't really do anything at all at the deadline. Uh, the Red Sox, as Jays fans just saw, despite some early success against the Jays this season, I mean, the Red Sox are a very flawed baseball team as well. If you follow any of the media coverage in that city, uh, the people aren't happy with, with the direction that organization has been taking. So, I mean, they can fluke into a, a winning streak or two and, and apply a little bit of pressure, but I don't think they're a serious threat. And so you're right. The, the only team I really look at below the Jays um, as a potential threat is, is Seattle. And Seattle was another team that, that traded guys away at the deadline. They, they weren't going for it. I mean, there were scenarios where in theory, if they had been a little bit closer, um, they might've added as well and, and made things a little bit more difficult. But um, you look at the rest of the stretch that the Jays have, I mean, they've got one of the easiest schedules in baseball over the next month. Um, things really tighten up over the last two weeks when they face a lot of teams in the American League East just before the playoffs. Uh, but they have a relatively clear path here. So I, th I think they would really have to beat themselves. They would have something would have to go horribly wrong for this team not to make the playoffs in general. Uh, once you get there, it's a bit of a different story because to me, there's a big gap between uh, the teams that are in the playoffs and the Jays are right on that bubble is basically being that final team. And then the teams behind them, there's there's a big gap there. And I, I think that's where we see the addition of uh, the third wildcard spot really impacting things as well. I mean, this would be a very different conversation mm. if the Jays had to overtake a team uh, like the Houston Astros for the second wildcard. We would be, we'd be talking very differently right now, uh, but they don't have to do that. They can get in as the third wildcard. There are scenarios where that can even be beneficial to them because if they get in the, as the third wild card, they, they could play the, the first place team from the AL Central. Uh, that's probably a matchup you like. So um, the Jays are in a decent spot. Um, it's just they still have a ways to go uh, before you can be considered in that top tier. Uh, and anything can happen in the playoffs. Uh, essentially, that's what the Jays are going to have to hope for, because when you look at the best teams in the American League this year, the Jays aren't one of them, but, but they're still a playoff team and they're going to have to they're going to have to get hot over a short stretch and do some damage that way, as opposed to going into the playoffs as, as a heavily favored team expected to make the American League Championship Series and the World Series. By the way, uh, based on last year's performance in the playoffs, home field might mean nothing. Yeah. And it may be better for them <laughs> to be away from Rogers Center than uh, uh, then and then play at home. Uh, I know it's ancient history, uh, but based on what you've said, Gregor, uh, how surprised were you that uh, Ross Atkins was as quiet on deadline day as he was? Because really, in, in essence, all he did was trade because of injury. 
Absolutely. Um, I, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised at the time because the the couple of weeks leading up to it really seemed like there weren't going to be a lot of fits for what the Jays were looking for. I mean, this was a very pitching heavy market. Uh, for once, the Jays didn't really need a, a starting pitcher. Um, obviously, they got some depth for the bullpen, which was there as well. But if you look across league-wide, there weren't a lot of guys who were moved. So in the, in the weeks leading up to it, um, that was kind of my expectation. But if you were to go back a month or two before, um, I mean, I would have said that's that's absolutely something they have to get done. And, and here's the, the risk that the Jays have kind of taken over the last few years is when they've gone into spring training, they haven't looked like a complete team. Uh, the expectation for the last couple of years is that they would finish getting their needs at the trade deadline. We looked the last couple of years that was heavily kind of centered around the bullpen. They needed to, they needed to solidify the bullpen uh, and they knew that going into April uh, and they were going to wait until July. Uh, this seems like a similar strategy was taken this year. And with regards to like a fourth outfielder, they really needed a, another right-handed bat that could uh, be inserted in that lineup. And I, I think there was an expectation that they were going to find that midway through the year. And while, Unfortunately for the Jays, there were a lot of other people looking for for those guys too, and and those guys that they were in the market for weren't weren't impact guys by any means either. So, um, I think they got caught a little bit thinking that they could just easily fill those needs in July when the when the needs arose, and and that didn't happen. So this team is is very susceptible uh, to left-handed starting pitching in particular. They've really struggled against lefties this year, and. Uh, I mean, Dalton Varsho has been a, a big disappointment in left field. And so I understand that the, the commitment that the Jays made there, they don't they don't want to back away from him as a starting outfielder quite yet. Uh, but at the same time, I, I think they needed to give themselves uh, another option down there. And while the the, uh, the Schneider story is, is very nice for a rookie to come in and, and make an immediate impact. Uh, I mean, we, we've seen guys do that before. And so I'm going to need to see, uh, uh, you know, uh, at least a couple to three more weeks of that before you start relying on him as, as being potentially that missing piece. And so it, it really was unfortunate for the Jays that they didn't come up with something because they really needed to come up with a bat. And, and there just really weren't guys out there that were really all that compelling to them. Well, I wonder if you would call the Jays a complete team once Bichette comes back and if Schneider uh is uh, even a semi-regular, but a bat that they can count on and play at uh, at second base when Merrifield is in left field or whatever. Um, and Romano comes back and is uh, the Romano of old. Uh, they have six starting pitchers. If Seattle isn't in the playoffs, the Jays are. And the Jays will have the best pitching stats in baseball, never mind, uh, never mind the American League. I don't know who they would start. Uh, one, two, three, in a long series, who would be four? Um, but the fifth and sixth guys could be pretty good if if they're in if they're in top form. So the other way of looking at it, uh, and they got to get there first, is they could be a dangerous team in the playoffs, even if they're hitting somewhat better than we've seen, because they're going to pitch well. It would appear. And I wouldn't think any team in the American League is really too thrilled if they meet up with the Jays. So there's the there's the counter uh, uh, perspective, Gregor. You can tear it apart or uh, agree with some of it. No, I, I agree with that as well. I mean, that's that's the kind of ironic thing about this entire season, right? I mean, I feel like. Uh, you know, a lot of what I have been writing this year and what a lot of the media coverage has been has been how uneven the, the play has been for this team and, and how the Jays have, have been disappointing. Um, but uh, the flip side of that is they still are a playoff team, as you as you mentioned right now. Uh, odds are they're going to be a playoff team at the end of the year. And the only thing you need to do to change the narrative of your entire season is get hot uh, in the playoffs. I mean, uh, if we've been waiting that for a long time. Yeah, no, no, exactly. And so, um, I mean, pitching wins in the postseason. I mean, if, if this had been, if this was a team that was scoring eight runs, eight, nine runs a night uh, and struggling to pitch, we'd be talking about how the Jays are probably going to struggle in the playoffs because they don't have enough pitching. Um, I mean, pitching is what you want in October. And especially, uh, the, you know, what we've seen the trend over the last 10 years or so, bullpens play a huge role in the postseason because the, the outings for starting pitchers really get shortened. And for the first time since the, in this era of the Jays of the Ross Atkins, the new era post 2016, um, they've always struggled with the bullpen. And so they haven't had that luxury. We saw that obviously last year in the Seattle collapse. Uh, but this year, I mean, they have so much depth down there in the pen 
But say if you went with a, if you advanced out of the wildcard series and you, and you went to uh, uh, the second round and you were playing in a game four, I mean, there's scenarios where you could have Kikuchi out there for four innings and then immediately turn things over to the bullpen and, and go that way. So uh, there, there is a lot of damage there and you're right. I mean, you only, you might be able to get away with only scoring four runs in the postseason. You might win some, some five, three, four, two ball games. Um, and they certainly have the team for that. They also have the offense that could get hot. I mean, if Bo Bichette could single-handedly carry an offense on, on his own, uh, if he comes back looking good and, and if Guerrero gets hot at the right time, I mean, there are certainly positives you can point to with this team. There's no doubt about it. It's just I think a lot of us at this point are kind of expecting them to look great one night and then the next night look at that look like that team that, that doesn't belong there. And so it's, it's hard to, to kind of wrap your head around that at times. Well, the, I think the, the Boston the series, the, but the Boston series, you, you know, you, they always talk about gaining momentum, and, and and the Boston series, you could see the momentum growing, you could see it happening, you could see it in Game One in Cleveland, and then the bats just disappeared. When you're when you're around, uh, when you're on the field, when you're around the pitch, the, the batting cage, do people say, "Well, we've never been a." a big hitting team or are they, are, are people in the organization asked the same questions that we are? I mean, it's ironic because there was a, I think Don Mattingly had, had some comments last week that um, kind of alluded to what you're talking about, which is basically like, you know, everybody's waiting for us to turn into this big home run hitting team. And um, that's not who we are. That's not our identity. And I, I was taken aback by those comments a little bit because that's kind of what this team was supposed to be. They right. they were they were built to be a, a slugging team. I mean, it wasn't that long ago we were talking about uh, the new dimensions at Rogers Center and how it was going to become a bandbox for home runs and and all this stuff. And the first week when the Jays were hitting well, I mean that that was you looked at you looked at a team that had a had some uh, very good power, especially in the heart of the lineup, and then. You, what the rest of the lineup was supposed to do was was be the type that that could manufacture some runs with some speed a little bit of small ball and it was supposed to be a little bit more of a dynamic offense but the heart of this lineup was still supposed to hit home runs hmm. and they haven't done that nearly enough this year obviously the the struggles that the Vladdy's had have been pretty well documented this year with that um and and especially George Springer I mean George Springer to me has been by far the biggest uh, disappointment on the Jays from an offensive standpoint, um, even way more than Varsho. I mean, a lot of people have been talking about Varsho, but Springer's supposed to be one of your superstars. And uh, I mean, he's been a below uh, league average hitter this year. And so um, those guys are still supposed to mash. Um, and so there's been a little bit of what you're talking about. There's been some people who have been like, look, that's, that's not who we are this year. Um, but I'd say, I'd say the, the vast majority are people who are still kind of waiting for everything to click. Like everybody's seen around the team says, you know, we haven't gotten rolling yet th this year and, and wait until we get rolling. Well, I mean, now we're into August. And so you wonder if they ever are going to get rolling, obviously, but uh, the potential is there. And that's, that's what that lineup is designed to do. Um, they're the best bunting team I've seen uh, <laughs> in, in a long time. When you, when you got two guys who can bunt like Belton and Marshall and basically nobody else in the major league shows you, the ability to uh, to bunt, uh, I'll give them credit for that. I, I think in the playoffs, again, we're assuming they're in the playoffs, I think matchups are going to be very important. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you'd like a matchup against uh, the Minnesota Twins. And beyond that, um, if Shane McClanahan is done for the season in Tampa Bay, as would appear, um, then, you know, the team that, that invented the opener is going to be down to openers. In, in the playoffs. And the Texas Rangers, who I think should be favored in the American League or should have been favored in the American League, have lost two big bats in the middle of the order. Jonah Heim may be done for the season or may have to just hit left-handed because he tore a tendon sheath in his left hand. I didn't know I had a sheath. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Josh Young, who's probably the American League Rookie of the Year, broke his thumb. Now, Texas did add. I think Texas won the trade deadline. I'll, I'll ask you that, uh, Gregor. Yes, everybody else was sleeping or had a had a wrong calendar. Um, but Scherzer and Montgomery, at least with Evaldi out, at least Texas did something. Well, DeGrom out too. Texas did something to uh, materially improve uh, their chances in the playoffs. I agree. Uh, I, I think the balance of power kind of shifted to the West and, and also what the Astros did. I mean, the Astros have, have very much similar narrative to the Jays this year that they've, 
you know, they've got a lot of big bats in that lineup, but they they have struggled offensively for, for much of the year. I mean, they've, they've been mostly led by their pitching, but um, you add Justin Verlander into that mix and, and some of the magic that he had there. Uh, I mean, to me, right now, those are the two teams to beat, especially because the East didn't do much. I mean, the Rays added a little bit at the deadline. I was really surprised that the Orioles didn't do more. And, and I think they will they will come to regret that because while they've got that extremely dynamic lineup um, and they've got an incredible bullpen, um, their starting rotation is still very unproven. And, and so it reminds me of, of where the Jays were a couple of years ago. And, and so it's it's very exciting for that fan base, obviously, that they're going to get into the postseason. But I, I question how much damage they're going to be able to do once they're there. Um, to me, Texas and Houston are a little bit built more like your your prototypical postseason teams. And so um, those would be the two teams I'm watching for the most. Um, but the Jays, I mean, you, in, in a short series in particular, I, I mean, they match up pretty favorably against some of those teams. I know I know they've been owned all year by Baltimore. I don't think anybody in this city would be uh, looking forward to a series against the Orioles. Uh, but October is a different beast, and they haven't been there before. And so uh, I'm not completely sold on them this year quite yet uh, because I really think that they needed to go out and address the rotation. There were tons of guys available for them. Uh, they only ended up with Jack Flaherty. Uh, with the minor league system that they have, I'm surprised they didn't do more. And so then, then you look west, like you said. I mean, that that those were the two teams in my mind that were the the most aggressive um, at the trade deadline. And and usually those things pay off down the road. And so there's a lot to like about what Texas and and Houston are, are both doing over there. And so those those are the matchups I'd probably be scared of the most. Even though I'm sure Jays fans the last thing they want to see in the playoffs is a team within their own division because of how much the Jays have struggled against them this year. But the, the frustration of that though, Gregor is that this, this team was not supposed to be battling for a wild card spot. Yep. This team, this team was supposed to be near the top of the heap. When Tampa got off to the great start, everybody said, well, don't worry, they'll come back and the Jays. And then it became Baltimore's division. And, and so that to me, I mean, we can talk all we want about how, the Jays scare every other team in the American League. The Jays are scary. Well, they are scary, but I tell you what, they're not consistent enough to be considered somebody that can win the division. And that has to be a concern, not necessarily, maybe not in the short term, but in the long term for this organization, when you know you have to start to sign some of these guys. And that to me, it makes it really asks that I think those are questions you have that have to be asked. Hundred percent, and I mean, you look at where this team was in, in twenty twenty one. They they came one that was supposed to be a year they were going to do damage. They came one win shy of of making a, a tiebreaker. The next year, they they took a, a couple of baby steps forward by getting in, uh, but that just getting into the the postseason isn't good enough anymore around here. Right. I mean, th that would have. 10 years ago, people would have been over the moon uh, for, for that type of experience, just bringing postseason baseball back. I mean, the 2015-16 wasn't that long ago. It's still fresh in a lot of our memories. Uh, and then the last couple of years, you know, we've already seen this team come close uh, and, and not be able to take the next step. And so, you know, going into this year, that, that was exactly it. You know, I spent a lot of time in spring training writing exactly that. Like this, this, this season isn't about making the playoffs. This season was about winning the division first and foremost, which clearly clearly is not going to happen. And, and then the second goal is is making a deep run into the postseason. I mean, if this team only gets into a wild card series and, and loses like they did last year, that makes this season a huge failure. If, if they win a, a wild card series and, and then you know advance through the ALDS and make an AL championship series, then we're probably not talking as much about how much of a disappointment the regular season was. Um, but the regular season proves the sh shows what the best teams are. You can get hot in the postseason; doesn't the best teams usually don't win the World Series? The Jays clearly are not one of the best teams because it's been proven now for for four months during the regular season uh, that there are other teams that are better than them, and and that is a disappointment. It's one that can be salvaged, uh, but the only way they can do it is by getting very hot. Uh, in September and, and into October, because as of right now, the reason why we're down on them is because, yeah, the expectations were higher. They were supposed to be the best team in the AL East. They haven't been close to that this year. On the on the other hand, I'm going to give you a couple of quickies, uh, Gregor. Um, let's pretend Shohei Otani doesn't exist. And um, uh, tell me that uh, Bull Bichette should not be the most valuable player in the American League. Oh, it's an interesting one. Uh, I mean, I think I think the time uh, he's missing now would would, would probably hurt him a, a little bit with that. 
it's it's interesting because I was actually at the deadline thinking if if Otani if Otani got traded at the deadline, was there a scenario where he could and he went to the National League? Was there still a scenario where he could win AL MVP because he was so he was that far ahead of everybody else? Does he even need the final two months of the season? That would have been interesting. Uh, Bichette, there's there's no question. I mean, in the AL East, to me, I mean, Rushman in, in Baltimore has been has been huge to what they're doing. Uh, but Bo Bichette uh, is right there. Uh, and in terms of this team, uh, I mean, he's been the single driving force through much of the year offensively. I mean, there have been times. Um, when he's been the only bat that that's been going, and um, the the other overlooked part is is part of it's because of the offensive production, but we don't talk about his defense much anymore, and that and that's because he has uh, become good enough to hide some of his flaws there. I mean, his his errors haven't popped up quite as much as they used to, and so he's playing an okay shortstop, which is basically what the Jays need from him. Uh, and offensively, I mean, he has been by far uh, the Jays' best player this entire season. Um, you know, it's interesting. A few years ago, I think everyone would have been, um, you know, over the moon for the Jays to just target uh, Vladimir Guerrero in, in terms of a long, long-term long contract extension. And if, if Bichette ended up having to walk because of that, people might have accepted that. I'm, I'm not so sure that's as clear-cut anymore. I think there'd be a lot of people who would prefer to see the Jays uh, make a long-term commitment to Bichette uh, because of what he's doing. And I mean, we've talked about him for a long time as a potential uh, future batting champion in the American League. And, and that's exactly what he is now. He's, he's, he's very, uh, he's a little bit old school in terms of he doesn't have that, the, the plate discipline that, that a lot of people like to see from today's modern players. Um, but it doesn't matter because it, it, he can hit a fastball at his eyes. He can turn that the other way. He can do so many different things. And so he's clearly been one of the easily best uh, players in the American League this year. My second uh, quickie uh, is uh, Kevin Gosman leads the American League in strikeouts. Could he be the Cy Young winner in the American League? He could. The the one concern I have about Gosman is how he's going to perform over the next couple of months, because we've seen a trend from him over the last couple of years where his production has really kind of um, tailed off in the second half. And, and I do have some concerns with that rotation in general in terms of how much the Jays pushed them earlier in the season, especially when Manoa was down and they went to a four man staff and um, it cost cost some of the starters their off days. Uh, so I do have some concerns, but as of right now, absolutely. I mean, I mean, Kevin Gosman uh, should be one of the, the favorite guys for the Cy Young. and It'll be interesting to see if he can keep that up. Well, the other favorites are hurt. Are, yeah. Were favorites, McClanahan and, uh, and Nathan Evaldi. And so I don't, I mean, I don't think Gosman should be considered the favorite, but uh, if you're listing finalists, uh, I guess uh, I guess he's one of them, and uh, I want to go back to David Schneider, not to nominate him for Rookie of the Year, <laughs> but but if he never gets another hit, uh, I think his nine hits in those three games at Boston will have to be mentioned as a springboard to playoff success if if it if it goes that way. They needed something after the Baltimore series, and the something was was David Schneider. And um, I'm sure there are Blue Jays fans who were disappointed enough to see him in the lineup last night. Mind you, it's understandable. They needed a third left-handed bat. And Biggio, after winning the game the night before, was going to be that bat with Kiermaier not available. So, okay, no no, David Schneider. I'm sure some people might have liked to see him pinch hit at the end and, instead of Kirk because they're in love with David Schneider. Uh, and Blue Jays fans will hope that the 0 for 4 um is no uh is no sign of things to come and he gets back to uh not to what he was but to a guy who can uh, contribute to this team i assume that when the roster goes to 28 in september as long as he doesn't completely fall apart that he's a member of the team till the end no yeah i would i would agree um and and i mean he's teams kind of the good teams need a lift around the trade deadline. I mean, you see what other teams do uh, and the Jays got a little bit of a, of a lift by getting Hicks in the bullpen, uh, but this lineup needed a, a boost as well. And so if they weren't going to get that at the deadline, I didn't think they were going to get it period. Uh, but the fact that he was able to come up and, and provide a bit of that spark kind of, kind of alleviate some of those, uh, those concerns a little bit Well, It'll be interesting to see if he, he can keep it up. Uh, but that's exactly what you need. And good teams also need, contributors that you don't expect and the Jays haven't really had that year this year I mean you, you look back at all playoff teams just about in every organization there's usually a couple guys on there who really 
exceeded expectations who nobody really knew about before the year that came in and played big roles. Chris Colabello on, on, the, on the old Jays comes to mind as a, as a guy like that. They're not always prospects. A lot of times they're, they're kind of the unproven vets. Uh, but in this case, uh, the Jays haven't really had that this year. They need one of those success stories. They haven't had much in, in the way of the minor leagues coming up since since the main guys arrived here a few years ago. And so m- maybe Schneider can, can be that lift, but he is, he's, he's exactly kind of what they need. They need that right-handed bat that they can move around a little bit. And so he, even when he does tail off, I, I would expect that um, he would have a fit on this team because even if you're looking at a postseason roster, I mean, he makes a lot more sense as a fit over a guy like Santiago Espinal, who the Jays already have a lot of uh, middle infielders, uh, backups. They don't really need one more. What they need more is a bat. And so to me, uh, Schneider's a much better fit than Espinal. Well, that's Gregor Chisholm of the Toronto Star. Uh, lucky enough to have him join us on the show today with Dave and me. By the way, that 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 description of the Jays getting to the playoffs and winning the wild card and getting to the ALDS. Uh, for some reason, I had a vision of the Maple Leafs. It's not, they started to sound like the Maple Leafs there for a second. You know, if they, if they can just get through one round, you know, th- then, then they might be considered winners again. So, anyway, we'll, uh, John, we're, we're, it, it's Toronto, John. Yes, I know. I know. I know. I know. Uh, we'll take a quick break and be back with uh, Gregor to, to talk about his column today. Cause it's a, a fascinating one. When you consider the history of the Toronto Blue Jays, this is the McCowan podcast. With Gregor Chisholm of the Toronto Star, Dave Hodge in for Bob. Uh, Gregor, your column on Wednesday of this week on Jose Bautista uh, was a fascinating one for me because you, you, you think about the important moments in this team's history, the franchise history. And there is a generation of fans in this town that will view what Bautista did almost as much as the two World Series victories, won't they? They will. And, and similar impact. I mean, the, the the early World Series years, 92, 93, that was, that was in my childhood. And those were in my, you know, formative years. And, um, you know, I, I knew a lot of kids growing up who got into baseball because of what Joe Carter and Roberto Alomar were doing and, and, and what that really did to grow the game. Uh, and then there was such a dry spell. I mean, throughout the late 90s, uh, throughout the early 2000s, I mean, this Forget about the playoffs. This team didn't even come close to playing meaningful games in September. I mean, this team was out of it every single year, with the exception, I think, one during the late 80s, I think 98. Uh, they had a, they had a little bit of, of a chance, but still not much. And so for years, for decades, this this city didn't know what it was like for, to, for competitive baseball and meaningful baseball to be played in the city. And uh, Batista, in, in my mind, was was a driving force in, in, in bringing that back. I mean, he's, uh, in my mind, has the, the second best career of, of a hitter in, in Blue Jays history. To me, I, I put him only behind Carlos Delgado. I don't think he's the, the second best player. Uh, Roberto Alomar certainly has to be in there, but Roberto Alomar spent six years in Toronto. Batista spent 10. Um, and, and the things that he was able to accomplish, I mean, the reason why the Jays were able to go go for it in, in 2013 it failed, but the reason why they went for it is because they had Jose Batista and Edwin Encarnacion as, as the, the base that they were building from. The reason why they, they ran it back in 2014 and then tried to add in, in 2015 was because, you know, Jose Batista and Edwin Encarnacion were in their prime years. Without yeah. those guys coming and being rather unexpected developments, uh, that 2015-16 run probably never happens. And, and if that 2015-16 run doesn't happen, I, I think the situation today is much different. I mean, I don't, I'm not entirely sure that Rogers would fully understand the upside of the baseball market because for 20 years, people talked about the upside of this baseball market. They talked about how fans will come back when the Jays started to win. Well, a lot of time went by after 93. And so, you know, even myself as someone who grew up as a huge baseball fan, I, I was saying some of those things, but by the end, I wasn't entirely sure I, I, I even believed it. I thought the fans would come back, but I never thought that they would necessarily come back the way they did in 2015. And, and so now that's in our somewhat recent memory. And so the Jays were able to really escalate payroll. They were really able to go for it. And now we're in a situation that we were talking about in the last segment where the playoffs aren't good enough anymore. And, and when Batista first arrived here, the playoffs were nothing more than a fantasy. So <laughs> I, I think he's directly responsible. And that team is directly responsible for what, for what we see today and the raised expectations that we have. Well, Saturday's ceremony is going to be um, uh, emotional. It's going to be loud. Uh, if the other players uh, and the level of excellence could all be on the field, um, obviously not. But if George Bell, Dave Steve, Joe Carter, Tony Fernandez, Carlos Delgado, Roy Halliday, 
yes, recent uh, popularity would have something to do with it, but I think Bautista would get uh, the loudest ovation. And uh, we'll mark him down uh, as part of one of the great one-sided trades of all time in, in, in baseball. He came from Pittsburgh for a player we named later who was named Robinson Diaz. He played one game for Toronto. He went 0 for 4. Wound up back in Pittsburgh, played one full season, hit one home run. And Jose Bautista did all of what he did uh, for the Blue Jays. So um, Bautista is that and uh, a whole lot more uh, in, uh, in the uh, annals of baseball in, in Toronto. And I think all of that is going to come out on, uh, on Saturday. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be a day to be at the ballpark and I'm sure it'll be packed. It's these days it's damn near packed every, every day mm -hmm. or night. Uh, and, um, uh, who gets the credit? I don't know. I mean, those, those new, new, uh, new areas where you can, um, uh, drink and meet people, shall we say, <laughs> uh, and then realize that there's also a ball game there, might have something to do with it. I would like to credit the new rules. I think fans love the pace of the game, and I think the game is viewed differently by by spectators who, uh, who are flocking to Rogers Center and stadiums around the league. So um, there you go. I uh, I enjoyed uh, your the perspective that you, uh, you uh, added in your in your column today about Bautista. And uh, um, I think everybody has to realize that uh, he is what he is and he was what he was uh, for this team. And and they'll realize it again Saturday. Yeah, no, absolutely. And to me, he kind of was the start of, I don't know, for lack of a better term, the attitude era in Toronto. I mean, this, this city and this fan base kind of always had a chip on its shoulder throughout the, the 2000s and late 90s about how you know they they you know how could they ever compete with the, the Yankees and Red Sox it's, it seemed almost pointless going into every year and uh, Batista played with a chip on his shoulder too and I think it's one of the reasons why people in this city embraced him so much I mean he he didn't care what the American media thought he didn't care uh, what the rest of the league thought I mean the Jays during his time were in my opinion easily the most hated team in baseball across the league with other teams um, with other media markets because there, there was a cockiness that that Jays team had. Um, there was the altercations with umpires. There was, there was, there was a certain attitude there. Uh, and, and the, you know, the game I always go back to, you know, a lot of people obviously think about the, the situ situation with the Rangers and Batista. I actually go back to his, his 54 home run season. And one of the early memories I have was, was a pitch up and in from Yvonne Nova with the Yankees uh, almost hit him in the head. Batista got up and he gave one of his kind of, you know, his patented death stares back to the mound. Uh, and then later, later that game hit a homer uh, and stared back at the mound as he, as he did it, took a very slow walk towards first base. And it was, you know, it was basically uh, uh, telling off the pitcher and the other team in a certain way. And I, and I think fans in this city really embraced that. I mean, I, I think people like the fact that the Jays, uh, weren't this sweetheart team that that the rest of the league loved. I think people enjoyed kind of being the villains because, uh, you know, it's it's a role maybe we're not used to as Canadians, but one one we still embraced in that type of role because the Jays have been overlooked for so long. So it was, I think there was an attitude, all right, you want to overlook us? Let's see what's going to happen now. And and I think he really, really brought that edge to that team that started in, in 2010 and really carried through those postseason teams. In talking to him um, when you did, does he understand his role in this market? Oh, yeah. That was very clear in talking to him yesterday. He did a Zoom availability. He's going to do more media availability later in the week, obviously. But, you know, that was that was one of the things that that he pointed out right away. And to be honest, it reminded me a lot of the comments uh, from guys that, you know, I've talked to in the 92, 93 World Series teams. Those those guys really understood the impact that they had on baseball, not only in Toronto, but but across Canada in terms of growing the game with youth and and but that was one of the first things uh, Batista talked about yesterday. And he was he was quick to always say the team, uh, not him. And he talked about how the success that the Jays had uh, really drove that. Uh, but I mean, how could how could you not understand that when you when you start off with Batista, uh, when you're coming here uh, early in his career and, and you're playing in front of like 12, 13,000 fans? Uh, and he saw a bit of that buzz in 2013 when, when fans started flocking early when the Jays, uh, you know, spent a lot of money. Uh, but then especially in, in 2015, I mean, 2015 is, is something that I'll probably never experience again in terms of like that, that light switch going on and mm. off. Uh, because, you know, as soon as that trade deadline hit, I mean, they made all those big moves and the next game that the Jays played at home was packed. 
and, and it's been packed almost ever since. I mean, Dave's right, it's packed again this year. Um, it went down a little bit during the down years after Batista, but for the most part, baseball has been back in the city for a while, and it's really those teams that did that, and, and they did it across the country as well, and I think Batista recognizes that. You remember when you remember the, the, the controversy? We were doing a ton of talk radio at the time. How could they ever pay Jose Bautista $25 million? Yeah. Oh, that's outrageous. How could he ever need that much money? Yep. There was, uh, it was, I, I remember that that was a widely panned deal. I mean, it, it, there were so many unknowns with that, right? I mean, he had, he had one good year uh, and that's where Alex Anthopoulos, there's, there's a ton of credit too, uh, because he uh, took a risk a, a, on a deal that ended up becoming one of the, the best bargains in all of baseball. I mean, if a five year, $65 million contract, they had a club option on there as well. I think brought up to 79 million over six years. Uh, for a guy who turned into one of the best players in, in the game. And, and I mean, I remember reading all kinds of stuff around the time of that deal came out. I mean, Keith Law, uh, I love Keith Law. He's, a, he's, a, he's great at what he does, uh, but he, he hated that deal at the time. And I understood why, because there were all kinds of numbers that you could point to. I mean, no, I mean, Brady Anderson was, was a comp that was used at the time of, of guys who had never really done it before, had one massive home run season and, and then fell off a cliff. And so I think there was an expectation that that would happen with Batista as well. Uh, and obviously it didn't. I mean, he came back that very next year. I actually think his first half in 2011 was better than anything he did in, in 2010 uh, before he tailed off a little bit at the end of that year. But I mean, you, you can't ask for a better contract than that. And uh, the fact that they were able to get him at, at such a reasonable price for as long as they did is, again, another reason why they were able to keep it going until 2015 and 16 and really reap the benefits of it. Kevin Brown, John, uh, we want to. Uh... Well, some, yeah, uh, it, it, I mean, it's, it's, it might be the biggest story, uh, uh, you know, across the major leagues. Everybody's talking about it, uh, especially announcers. And uh, um, you got to be interested. John? Uh, well, I, I am and I'm not. I, I uh, you know, oh, I, it, it's one of it's what it's one of those things where I, I don't I mean, I, it, it's it's really a shame that the Baltimore Orioles, who are one of the greatest stories in baseball this year, end up creating a controversy around something that isn't on the field. I mean, it, to me, it just makes no sense whatsoever. Um, and, and, I mean, I've even had debates, Gregor, with people who, who I've worked with that, the, you know, that Rob Manfred should get involved, that Rob, Rob Manfred should say something. Baseball teams have employed announcers for years, longer than any other sport. They've controlled the message for more years in baseball than any other sport. I, I, I'm kind of shocked at this, this one. Yeah, do I agree with what they did? No, but I, I'm amazed at the amount of content that has created. I don't know what you think. Uh, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, you're you're right. Uh, I mean, you're you're they're distracting from what should be an incredible story on the field. I'm not surprised coming from the Angelos family. I mean, Peter Angelos liked to step in it during his day, and now his son John uh, is doing the same thing. I mean, talk about uh, making a mountain out of a mole or something. I mean, the 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 comments that Kevin Brown made were the most innocuous comments that I mean I've ever. He was literally just reading off some stats. He wasn't editorializing it at all. He, he was talking about previous struggles that, that the Orioles had uh, against the Rays. And so to me, it, it's it's depressing for, for media in general. Uh, I mean, we're just seeing more and more uh, the league's control. I, I too would like to, to see Manfred step in. Uh, but I think if Manfred steps in, I, I think wow. it's just going to be more for optics. I think if he says something, it's just going to be window dressing on it because, I mean, this this system has been in place for a while. Uh, they've also got uh, the system in place with Major League Baseball Advanced Media, a company I actually used to work for a, a number of years ago, um, where it, it's very similar. I mean, it's a very controlled environment. Um, and so I, I wouldn't expect him to do anything other than maybe trying to to win a little bit of a PR battle. Uh, but this is unfortunately the re the reality. This is a very, um, you know, it's an example that can get blown up um, because Kevin Brown's comments were so harmless. And that that's what makes this story even more ridiculous. 
but I mean, this stuff would obviously be going on behind the scenes all the time. And it's, it's, it's disappointing for me as a, as, as someone uh, who, who follows the game so closely, because what I want is, is neutrality in a broadcast. I want to hear both sides. I don't want to only hear the, the, the good positives. And uh, unfortunately, when you've got someone as sensitive as John Angelos and, and he wouldn't be the only owner out there who's doing the same thing. It's just, it, it's just unfortunate because I don't think any, uh, that doesn't make good content. Nobody, no. nobody only wants to see the positive stuff and you can't talk about any of the negative stuff at all. Dave, if, if discussing uh, difficulties at Tropicana Field uh, was was a, a reason to be fired, everybody who ever announced a Blue Jays game would have been fired. And uh, Kevin Brown, who I said uh, and would like to say again, is the best young, only 33 years old baseball announcer I have heard in a long, long time. And so as everybody else has said, if the Orioles don't want him, um, yeah. somebody else will. But his comments weren't even negative. I mean, no. he was saying they've already this season won more games uh, in Tampa than they won in the last two seasons combined. So he was he was patting them on the back and he was reading from game notes. And it is the silliest, stupidest, <laughs> but so is a suspension. Like, how does the guy come back and have any credibility if he says good things about the Orioles. Oh, well, he's just saying that because he's supposed to. If he criticizes the Orioles, oh my goodness, he's going to be gone. He's going to be suspended again. I wish, honestly, if I had his talent, I think I would say I need an apology. Uh, I need a guarantee that there will be no interference uh, furthermore. And if I don't get it, uh, I will look for, for work elsewhere. Yeah. I don't expect him to do that. It's easy for me to suggest that he does but I'd love to see it. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, that sounds very familiar to, to somebody else. I, I, re I remember in 1987. I don't know you, Gregor, <laughs> you were too young to remember, but I've, I've seen this, it. I've seen this yeah. clip. <laughs> He's, it, well, he, uh, and I, the good thing is I get the final word on this. Uh, Kevin Brown. No, <laughs> Kevin Brown. It, it, the, the read out of the press notes. So if Gregor had been at the building, he could actually cut and paste that out of the press notes and put it in his column, and it would have said it came right from the Baltimore Orioles. Mm -hmm. uh, so the other thing is, and this is the tip of the iceberg world of television, is Kevin Brown is, you know, th th there are so many other people complicit in deciding what Kevin Brown talks about in the opening of a baseball game. I didn't see the producer or the director or the executive producer or anybody involved in content creation get suspended or didn't hear about it. So as much as I think that it was it was stupid, I can only think there's got to be something else because it's common sense will tell you that this was not that big. There had to be something else. And I will go to my, I go to my grave thinking that that you know even the baltimore orioles would have the common sense the common sense to think that okay we, you know we don't like what kevin does and we're going to move on or perhaps this perhaps this is a a premature contract negotiation with a guy there's got to be something more to it than than what we saw and have heard for the last uh, 72 hours and and for, since the moments that he said that line about winning and losing in, I'm really, in Tampa. I'm really happy to hear you say that the guy on the air is the guy who unfortunately takes well, all but the you, but you, you should be spread around yeah, to people I, hold on. who are all producers. By, the way, by right. the way, by the way, I said I had the final word, and I do. Gregor, <laughs> thank you for this. Thanks for your time, man. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. Gregor Chisholm of the Toronto Star. That's Dave Hodge. Dave and I will be back after this. Thanks to Gregor Chisholm. Uh, and he, he ended up being a spectator when the producer and the and the announcer started to argue about things at the end of the show there. Right. So, <laughs> Ask me a question, John. <laughs> so I, actually, I was talking to a few of my friends the, uh, the other night of the original Kevin Brown revelation that he had been suspended. Actually, he was, on, he was on radio that night because they had a fight with another announcer about the type of clothes that they were wearing. So they had to move people around. Um, and they said, well, this would never happen in Toronto. Well, in fact, it did. It did happen in Toronto. And um, 
It happened to a couple of guys. Pat Marsden wasn't allowed into the Maple Leaf Gardens for a long period of time. And a guy named Dave Hodge was thrown out of the gardens when he was hosting Leaf regional broadcasts because Harold Ballard did not like what you said. Was it a game in Chicago? No, it was a game. Uh, the game, uh, the telecast was, uh, was in Toronto. And uh, Global wanted, uh, if not demanded, sharp commentary as part of my uh as part of my assignment in hosting uh, was their, that in the contract the game sharp sharp, uh, was a, sharp was commentary understanding um <laughs> so much like kevin brown who who simply read numbers and that the, the owner of the orioles didn't like it, i don't know why because the numbers were wound up being complimentary to this year's orioles team the numbers i used weren't necessarily complimentary to the leafs but uh, in trying to assess what was happening to the Leafs in the 1980s, uh, I went back, uh, honestly, I don't remember. I w wish I could uh, uh, quote the exact uh, numbers I used. But I ended my commentary by saying, in this period of time, the Leafs have had seven head coaches, four general managers, one owner, no Stanley Cups. And the one owner said, um, I'm not allowed back in the building, and if Global wanted to uh, bring me in in a limousine, uh, it would be stopped at the door, and so would every cable to every camera, and they would never do another telecast again. Uh, needless to say, uh, Global stood by me staunchly for a couple of months, and then uh, and then did what uh, the Orioles did to Kevin Brown, uh, complained about something that uh, he said. Uh, when that was his job, and I thought that was my job. And I didn't think it was that harsh. And in fact, it was entirely accurate what I said about the Leafs and their problems. If everybody wanted to point to the one owner as the biggest problem, yeah, that was up to them. Yeah, the, the, the thing about baseball to me is that, as I mentioned in the previous segment, this this I mean, this is a sport where being a homer has been allowed in any more than any other sport. I mean, Harry Carey was a homer. Hawk Harrelson was a homer. John Sterling is a homer. Baseball announcers are expected to cheer for the home team. I mean, is listen, it, uh, with all due respect, listen to Buck when he calls a home run. Get out of here. I mean, is, this is part of the DNA of being a baseball announcer. I'll take I'll take a chance and say Kevin Brown's a homer. Oh, I'm I'm sure he is. <laughs> so I'm sure he is. So if you want to call that irony, uh, you know, I, they 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 fired a guy who has made their broadcast sound, suspended. He's suspended. He's not sounded, fired. He's suspended. Uh, okay. Uh, sounded, not everybody that's suspended thinks they're fired. There's the only man. one guy that got suspended that thought he was and fired. It's it. Anyway, they, they, they gave a holiday to a guy who has made their broadcast almost as good as the team is on the field. And and they almost deserved to lose last night's game the way they did. <laughs> well, <laughs> and the fans were cheering free Kevin oh, I know. Um, I, out I, of I, the fans. So well, I'll tell you like what, that? That, that's the magic of social media in 2023. So Kevin Brown will be back in the booth Friday, and we will be back tomorrow. This is the McAllen Podcast. Thanks for listening.